Here at Seabus Super, over the next three years, we're investing $1 billion into Seabus property. Building high-quality, sustainable developments around Australia. And creating healthy, long-term investments for members like me to enjoy in retirement. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, go to seabussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you this is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with me, Adam Collins, and the other guy, Jeff Lemon. This week on the show, we have plenty to talk about. We always have plenty to talk about, but I'll, I'll welcome you to begin. Jeff, uh, how are you going? I'm, I'm very pleased to be here, pleased to be recording a show with you, a thing that you know we rarely get the opportunity to do. Nice <laughs> to just kick back after. Um, I've, I've seen you on the screen every day, it seems, for a very long time because we've been doing the daily shows for the India-England T20s. We're actually watching a one-day game between those two teams as we speak. So we're, we're multitasking here. Um, Coley's on 52. I've, I'm hoping that he can get to that 71st International 100 today because I've about a year and a half ago, I was posting a lot. I was like, this guy's going to piss it in to make 100 hundreds in international <laughs> cricket. He is, there is no way it's not going to happen. And then he hasn't made 100 in 18 months. So it'd be nice to um, just to just get things moving again. Yeah, Shigat Dewan's on 77. Uh, in the uh, version of reality I'm watching, I'm not sure if I'm ahead of you or behind you, but we probably won't update the scores. We'll just keep an eye on it in the background to make sure we know what's going mm. on for that daily YouTube. I'll mention that to begin with. So the daily episodes of The Final Word will be taking place, I suppose, tomorrow and then later in the week for the three one-day internationals at Pune. Of course, we're recording today. I'm waving to the camera now. I'm in a different location. If you're watching on YouTube, the, the, the weekly show, you'll see that instead of my laptop being propped up on a stack of wisdoms uh i've now got mm. winnie's duplo box uh, and so like i guess the big lego if you're not familiar and a board yeah. game called yep. the great british train game so we're at rachel's parents place there mm-hmm. in our childcare mm-hmm. bubble because obviously i'm working and <laughs> rachel's working full-time so we're permitted to have um grandparents look after our daughter which we're doing this week until she goes into nursery so that's why my backdrop's a little bit different here on the south coast as opposed to my london house but uh, and, and that is where indeed the um the videos will be coming from this week so if you're on our youtube YouTube channel or if you want to be part of our YouTube channel that's where we'll deal with the India yep. England uh, one day internationals two questions out of that for you is the great British train game was it designed by Ronnie Biggs um, <laughs> per chance was he involved was he consulted I wonder I what year he was involved in some way yeah I'm trying to look at the box see what year if it was um, uh, what the great train robbery was what 1968 or something like that around that around that mark so maybe one followed the other to know that but yeah he well, he, i know he was he was hiding out in brazil in the 80s so it must have been before that but um yeah speaking of brazil speaking that's what of. We, all roads lead back to brazil um or airplanes with fake passports the other question is have you ever encountered anyone in say club cricket or or otherwise who is nicknamed the big lego because that would be a great name for someone <laughs> if you know <laughs> We've all had sort of jug heads and stuff like that, but perhaps not the yeah, big, the big yeah. Lego. Maybe the big Lego might the be big something. Lego. Here he comes, the big Lego. Hey, you mentioned Brazil. Maybe we'll start there because we had a lovely response to our interview uh, last week with Matt Featherston from Cricket Brazil and Roberta Moretti, who is the captain of the Brazilian uh, national women's team. And uh, Roberta and her team, Jeff, sent us a video uh, during the week, <laughs> as did Matt, making it abundantly clear that we must visit in 2022. We kind of flagged it at the end of the interview offhandedly that maybe we should go to Brazil and, and visit mm. and maybe play a game or two. And, and they've uh, returned yeah. serve and said that absolutely what we have to do. Yeah, well, it started out with we should visit and somehow it ended up with we should take a team and go and play <laughs> against them, which seems rash given that, I, you know, I hope we're not going to come up against the actual national team because they will be a lot better than anybody that we can cobble together. Well, well they but ended up we, all on the Zoom screen, didn't they? supposed to play. Yeah, well, well, all of them. So everybody got together. They got everyone together on Zoom to send us a extremely well-coordinated message. The um, the, the choreography, uh, the choir, if you will, was, was just tip-top in terms of their timing but yeah they've promised to be better at cricket than they are at um at video messages yeah why don't we drop that in here now this is the uh, brazil national women's team and matt featherston and his team uh welcoming us to brazil well encouraging us to visit brazil next year adam and jeff thanks for having us on the final word don't go to pakistan come to brazil where proper cricket is played 
We are waiting for you here. Thank you, Jeff. Many thanks for having us in the Final World podcast. It has been a pleasure. Great to meet you. Now we have a message for you to get you here in Brazil quicker. So thank you again to them. Jeff, of course, the conversation around us taking a team on tour started on the previous episode of Storytime. Uh, Dara Ismail Khan Cricket Club, if you don't know what they're all about, relates to the, uh, the biggest margin in the history of first-class cricket in Lahore in 1964 when Dara Ismail Khan on their first class debut got beaten by an innings and 851 runs and it, it's generated plenty of interest so um as far yeah. as uh, a, a number of people have written in saying they want to come with us we have simon wallace and now on board as our kit sponsor for the trip so god love him so we've got we've got a <laughs> we've got quite the cohort uh, coming together so if you want to be part of our tour to pakistan and brazil in 2022 well drop us a line in the usual places because it is going to happen Well, we will be keeping a close eye on things like, um, you know, vaccination progress and uh, international borders and that sort of thing before we'll promise that it's going to happen. But we're very enthusiastic about the idea, as we often are about ideas that we shouldn't be enthusiastic about or shouldn't commit ourselves to. Isn't it about over-promising and under-delivering? I'm sure that's what yep. I did in my time in politics, not the other way around. Anyway, mm. uh, so, uh, yeah, provided the plague has ceased to the point where it's safe to go, then we will be there. And, and uh, yeah, where we go first, yet to be seen. But, yeah, part of the the forward agenda i suppose on the show already mentioned mm -hmm. the um in india england one day as it is starting now the only real talking point from the the t20s on the way through here jeff is that there were some fines handed out for slow over rates england got fined 20 of their match fee for the fourth mm -hmm. game and india 40 for the fifth game i wonder what they'll ever mm -hmm. do i wonder how they'll come to terms with a fine being levied that they'll almost certainly never pay themselves <laughs> I, i wonder how they'll recover from this horrible financial blow i suppose it was a a full stop on an annoying part of that series, which ended with India winning three games to two. My assumption is that they will take the fine jar down to the pub at the end of the series and pop it on the bar and <laughs> and everybody will be able to get a few rounds out of it, out of the 40% of match fees from uh, from India and the 20% from England. So, yeah, look, fines aren't going to do anything with professional players. If you, you, you stand to gain a lot more from winning matches than you do from, you know, protecting your match fees for the ones that you've lost, put it that way. So if you want to hear more about that, it's all over our YouTube channel. Uh, Jeff, there was some... Interesting, unexpected, and what appeared on face value, great news on Sunday uh, via the Sun Herald mm. and uh, the Sunday Age. Andrew Wu, our friend and colleague, has reported that Ireland will be coming to Australia in the summer of 2022-23 for a test match. Now, this took me aback until I read down the page and came to understand what this might be all about. So just to refresh, Afghanistan, as we talked about on the show last week, are almost certainly going to visit Australia this year because there's a financial imperative there. If that test match gets scuppered, Cricket Australia will need to pay Channel 7 $3 million as part of their agreement that they arrived at last week, or at least what the arbitration process <laughs> said. So $3 million. <laughs> you can just imagine reps from Channel 7 like out there sabotaging the <laughs> Afghanistan team to try to make sure they can't get to Australia. You'll make sure they'll never land on these shores, you know, like sticking their shoes to the asphalt or like, whatever dastardly scheme they can come up with. I can totally see it. Well, let's assume Afghanistan do come, Jeff. In that story, it reads that they'll be playing in Hobart. And that's what really this is all about, mm -hmm. isn't it? So if Afghanistan play a test in Hobart, and look, that'd be fantastic. Fitzy from our, our Storytime Nerd Pledge show uh, was, was talking about this very topic last week. It was the 62nd test venue, Bell Reve Oval, when it uh, had its first test in 1989. No test matches have been hosted there since 2016. And we kind of didn't expect any test matches in the foreseeable future based on the Future Tours program. But with, with Afghanistan likely to play there, that weaves into the Ireland story and it all comes back to CA board politics. Yes. Well, it's coming down to whether Earl Eddings gets voted in for another term as chair and that comes down to the states. So what we're apparently being told at the moment is that New South Wales don't want him to go around again. I'm not sure who they've got in mind to replace him, but New South Wales is definitely the most powerful state association. They're effectively the association that gunned the previous CEO and the previous chair. So they got rid of David Peaver, they got rid of Kevin Roberts as CEO and, you know, apparently they like this pastime. They're out to <laughs> get rid of another one. Um, and they've got Queensland on side but they need another 
interstate association to go with them. And so the uh, the supposition is that Tasmanian cricket's been pretty sore at being left out of hosting any major games, particularly any test matches, for the foreseeable future. And suddenly, lo and behold, Tassie's going to get a test match this year. And apparently CA's casting around for someone to play there next year. But this is the weirdest part of it for me, is that Cricket Australia, under Kevin Roberts, very deliberately signed up for a, a test match schedule that was a light on home test matches and light on tours uh, really over the next few years. 2022, there are a bunch of tours, but there was very little planned for this year even before COVID. Um, there wasn't that much planned for last year. There wasn't that much planned for the, the following year with the 50-over World Cup coming up. So every summer schedule for the next few years was five tests. They'd, they'd slimmed everything down. They'd play two tests against one team and three against another, or they'd play five against um, England when they came out, or they'd play four against India and one against someone else. They only wanted five, which meant only the five major capitals mm. would get test matches. And now suddenly they're needing to look around for someone to fill that sixth spot so that they can get a test in Hobart. Yeah, there's, as usual, when it comes to CA board politics, a lot going on. I mean, Cricket New South Wales are so powerful behind the scenes. So John Knox has, uh, according to Pete Lawler, written a letter. He's quoted from the letter, so it's not as though it's... Um, it's, it's under any conjecture. There is a letter um, that's been written by John Knox to David... I nearly said to David Peaver. I nearly said to David Peaver, to, to Earl Eddings, uh, the current the ghost chair, of David Peaver. The current chair of Cricket Australia, saying that, um, that, he's lost, <laughs> that he's lost the support of New South Wales. I mean, normally in my former line of work, it was just a bunch of sort of backbench senators and, and, uh, and others who were never going to serve on the front bench who would get bored and try and knock off the leader periodically. And they would never issue an actual letter. They would just do it via leaking to to News Corp journos but in this case they've actually there is a there is a document and that document is putting pressure on Earl Eddings. Now, the mechanics are such that four out of the six state associations need to to sign up to this to, to knock off Eddings and it, it seems as though New South Wales and, and Queensland are in the cut for this but if Eddings can hold on to Tasmania and of course he's from Victoria even though he hasn't maintained a position as part of the Victorian delegation another part of the the complicated story here he's he's pitching up to become an independent director one of the three independent directors that are now part of the board but that's not Mm. really relevant to this conversation as much but nevertheless if he can keep four other states in the cart and, and Tassie being one of them he I suppose will keep his job so that's the groundwork there New South Wales have never been a huge fan of Eddings being in the role as Early as 2019, they were encouraging succession planning at Cricket Australia and saying they needed to find a sustainable long-term chair. They want there to be a wide search both inside and outside of the game. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very messy, isn't it? We saw Michael Kaspervitz uh, leave the board last year, citing that it was all a bit too scrappy and there wasn't a lot of trust, I think mm-hmm. was the word that he used at the time. I mean, Hollywood Mike Baird is about to join the Cricket Australia board next month, I think he formally steps on, which, I mean, is an incredibly well, look, an incredibly political could, appointment. That could work out really well. If, if we've got... Our problem has been that matches go on too late at night. If we want to make sure they finish early, Mike Baird is the best person <laughs> to have in the job. Well, that's true. He wants to get them all over from the SCG over to the Packer Casino, which was the other, um, the other major legacy of his premiership in New South Wales. But no, so there's yeah, all of that going well, on. Well, hasn't it? Yeah. So there's all of that going on. So maybe, the, I mean, the, the upside of this is that Ireland and Afghanistan might come in consecutive years to Hobart, and we would relish the opportunity for them to get that chance because we didn't expect it. I mean, I've joked on the show before that I thought America would would play a bilateral series mm. in Australia before Ireland got out here. I think I said the same thing uh, for Bangladesh, and that's. So I actually feel sorry for mostly out of all of this. So Bangladesh and Zimbabwe, I mean, we've we've talked about Bangladesh so many times and how they've been fucked over over and over and over again when it comes to test and one-day tours, but especially test tours between 2003 and now. So 18 years it's been uh, since they came out here for test cricket. And every time there's been something in the diary, it's just been scrapped even as early or as recently as must have been 2018 or 19 when CA barely even barely even put out a press release to can it they just backgrounded and said oh no we're not doing that no money in it 
name only that we're, we're mm. not interested in having them up for the top end test matches. So whilst there's room being made for the, the newcomers on the scene, and that's great, I think it does provide a bit of pause to apply some pressure that it can't just be one test against Ireland and one test against Afghanistan. They've got, I would say, an obligation to do the right thing by Bangladesh and Zimbabwe, who've been full members for a lot longer and been treated a lot worse. It is very notable, the difference between the way that the England and Wales cricket board and the Australian cricket board, or CA as they are now, uh, as the kids call them, uh, go about scheduling. Where With England, it's all about, well, why not whack a couple more test matches in there to the point that it's, you know, maybe they go too far the other way, the number of fixtures that they'll jam into a year. But they are willing to shift players around. They are willing to, you know, rest players. And I guess they burn through players pretty quickly. So not everybody's playing every test match. But, you know, something like, oh, okay, well, New Zealand's coming over for the World Test Championship final. So we'll whack a couple of test matches against them. It's the kind of flexibility in a a schedule that you wouldn't see from CA in a home summer. I don't know why there is the particular obsession with playing less test cricket, like how that's supposed to be good for the game, I, I can only guess that it's because playing against most of the teams is unprofitable and, and so they want to limit the expenditure. But it doesn't seem like a very smart way to go about things when you're always talking about wanting your test team to be the best in the world. Yeah, that's our aim. We want to be number one in all three formats. Well, you probably have to play all three formats, you know, more than five times a year for that to happen. Yeah, and I think the top-end tests that were played in 2003 and 2004 went out of fashion because it wasn't, attractive to their broadcast partners so whilst mm. periodically because the footy these, was on well, the footy's on it's middle of footy season and, and, I, and yeah. eyeballs are elsewhere but I mean Ian Healy made this point on, on our coverage um, that I was working on with him uh, during the Brisbane test match that there is far more scope to play test cricket than we realise we just kind of we've been institutionalised to thinking that the test mm. summer starts in you know November and it ends in the first week of January. Well, what this year provided was a change in that. Um, the Sydney test was played later, the Brisbane test uh, after that, and it kind of gave us a, a different way of interpreting things because, you know, the, the test series finishing in Sydney with the New Year's test, it's a relatively modern phenomenon. 98 99 mm. was the first time that became the final test. I mean, in and around yeah. that, we've had instances where test cricket has been played into January and February when India toured in 2000. 2008 and 2012 but generally speaking it has ended there but yeah why don't we have a a, sort of a a more open mind to playing more test cricket we know that Canberra has hosted a match now that hosted Sri Lanka a couple of years ago Hobart are dead keen I know it's not perfect I know that it may not be always the best possible way of scheduling it alongside white ball Mm. cricket and the big bash and all the other competing priorities but I mean, in, in, this, uh, in this scenario, they're finding a way to get Ireland out, which I'm sure is not in their financial interest. And I'm sure it's not in their financial interest for Afghanistan to play either. So I suppose and I hope there's a bit of a precedent here that CA um, will take the view that they can be better global citizens. And I suppose that was drawn into pretty sharp focus around the South Africa stuff recently as well, rightly or wrongly. And we've debated that on the show before. But nevertheless, the perception there was that they did the wrong thing by South Africa. Well, if you're looking at you know what kind of matches can be played and when a big part of the the problems that CA's had with scheduling have been around things clashing with the big bash like playing one day international series at the same time for instance where they're also day night matches and so gaps have to be left in the BBL and so on uh, test cricket's actually the perfect option to run side by side with the BBL yeah, because yeah. it runs at different times of day and it tends to demand different kinds of players you know the the big hitting players aren't generally in the test team and so you've got 12 test players who are out of BBL contention but probably six of them wouldn't be in it anyway so it it just seems like a a logical thing to do it does seem strange that they basically are happy to leave February empty of cricket for the most part aside from the tail end of of the BBL but yeah as, as to the motivation behind doing the right thing, that's uh, that's kind of the more important thing. So, yeah, we'd, we'd love to see Ireland come down and get a test match. But this is all sort of a suggestion. There's no, there, there hasn't been anything from Ireland suggesting that they are, that they've even <laughs> been approached about this. This well, is kind of a, a thought bubble that's floated up. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if Ireland even know. 
I wonder, I mean, I broke mm. the story a couple of years ago when Ireland were trying to get Australia out to play a test match at Malahide before the 2019 Ashes and CA just brushed them and said, actually, we'd rather play a scratch match against ourselves down at the Rose Bowl. Mm. And they were, they, were, they were pretty, you know, I won't overplay this, but they weren't thrilled the way that played out. Mm. And maybe there is a chance for a reset. I mean, let's give Eddings the benefit of the doubt to the extent that, I mean, yes, there, there might be political motivations behind this, but if he can pull this off, and there's no chief executive at CA right now. Nick Hockley is the interim CEO. We don't know what's going to happen with that role. Maybe there will be a view taken that they've got a broader responsibility to test cricket. Maybe they will mm. invest more in hosting countries in creative ways, using the top of Australia in the winter, playing more into February, as you've said. And I hope that's the case. Just because things have been bad in the last 10 years and the, the dominance and the the financial cloud of the big three has influenced a lot of that. There's no reason it needs to be that way in the next 10 years. So, um, yeah, m- maybe this could be a turning point. That's the positive spin. Well, if we're speaking as we are of New South Wales, um, <laughs> quite, a, quite a bit happening for New South Wales this week <laughs> in cricketing terms. The, the men's team got bowled out for 30-odd in the Sheffield Shield. Uh, the women's team have been knocked out of the... National Cricket League, the 50-over competition, for the first time. that We put out an episode a few weeks ago somewhat facetiously titled Somebody Please Beat the Breakers because in 24 years of this competition, they've made 24 finals and won 20 of them and it was getting a bit monotonous. Well, lo and behold, someone did. We'll get into that in a bit more detail later on, but it was... It was. It's exciting to see that you know Victoria and Queensland will be playing that final, and and the breakers, the most, the, probably in the top three most famous breakers in Australia. You've got the flavoured milk, uh, you've got Breaker <laughs> Morant, uh, and then you've got the New South Wales breakers, who are, I suppose, named after the waves that come into the shore. Even though the the, the state colours of Sydney are sort of sky blue, but I suppose the sky reflects off the sea, so sky blue is also sea blue in some way. But um, yeah, they're out, and the New South Wales men's team had a. Had a bad week. Yeah, let's start with the Shield because, I mean, what a striking uh, scorecard. What a collapse uh, that was. So, yeah, this was at Bell Reve Oval, the ground we were talking about just before where Tasmania were hosting New South Wales. And the game's going along in a, you know, a fairly normal fashion. Tasmania make 333 in the first innings of the game. Tim Payne, ca- uh, the captain of Tasmania and captain of Australia, top scores of 87. Matthew Wade, 57. Jackson Bird, 54. We'll come back to him in a sec. Payne was out for 87 for, the, I think, the third time at Bell Reve and the second time this year. He wasn't thrilled with his leg before decision, despite the fact that it looks like it was uh, hitting middle stump halfway up. He really did kind of remonstrate, look back at the umpire, having his carrying his bat by the splice and and all the rest of it. I mean, not not the worst example of that we've seen this season by far, but I guess another one in the catalogue of senior Australian players who who really don't like leaving the field when they're given out in the shield when they don't have the option to send it upstairs. I suppose. Anyway, moving on from that, New South Wales all out thirty two. Their lowest ever Shield score, just 19.3 overs. The fourth lowest tally in the 129-year history of the Sheffield Shield. And the second time in the season, because, of course, India were all out for 36 uh, back in December, that we've had a score Mm -hmm. of 36 or below. It's the first time since 1887 we've had two scores of 36 or below in in one Australian season. It's quite a staggering card. Mm -hmm. Jackson Bird... 10 overs, 5 maidens, 7 for 18. Peter Siddle up the other end, 8 overs, 5 maidens, 1 for 10. So bowling in partnerships, as it were. And, I mean, just carnage. I mean, I watch the highlights and most of the dismissals are as you would expect. I mean, Jackson Bird landing a ball on a dime, as he always does, and a combination of balls just doing a little bit, just doing enough, and poor shot selection and feeding the cordon and beating the inside edge. And, I mean, he's far from done, Jackson Bird. And, yeah, I mean, historically, uh, to think that it's their lowest shield score of all time, that really is something. It's pretty extraordinary, you know, considering the when you go way back in the scorecards and some of the shit heaps that teams used to play on in, yeah. in eras past and all the rest of it. Uh, so New South Wales were three down for none. It was a that classic situation where, depending from where you are in the world, you'd be quite confused by the <laughs> by the scoreline. Does it mean three runs for no wickets or three wickets for no runs is, is what it was. Peter Neville with 10. I, I've always said that Peter Neville has um, a touch of the Michael Clarks about him. Michael Clark made 10 out of the 60 at Trent Bridge. Peter Neville twice as good, made 10 out of 32. 10 not uh, out. You're also 
you, you're immoral for a bannerman, surely, in that sort of... In your team spelled out for 32, you only need to get 20. Um, <laughs> and you, and you, you're a dead set lock 21 and you'd be locked in for the bannerman. So, yeah, they, they didn't bounce back from that. The, the thing I found funny about that was that Tim Payne came out and top scored in the second innings as well with a 40 not out, smacked it around a bit as they, they made 191, happy to get bowled out. But he did most of his batting in both innings on the same day. He, he, he resumed in the morning batting with Jackson Bird, making that half century. And then he was back out there a couple of hours later and batted through to the end of the innings there. So he had a good day in both innings, um, which is more than could be said for New South Wales. Yeah, so Jackson Bird, the last time he played Test Cricket was at Melbourne uh, in 2017. So he, he played quite a lot between, I suppose, mm. the, the the end of 16 through till the end of 17. He was brought back after the, the all-out 80 at Hobart and had a good run in the test team, but has found himself largely out of calculations. And I can't quite work out why. Uh, I mean, this guy's a, a high-quality performer. Or, yeah, just um, after that half-century the other day reinforces that point. Thanks, Uncle Rod Marsh. <laughs> He's got a pretty... I mean, he's got an exceptional record. He's just been signed by Lancashire this week, actually, to play, I think, four games in the mm. county championship. He'll do uh, very nicely at Old Trafford, I'm sure. But, yeah, I, I feel like... Yep. I mean, I don't know how old Jackson Bird is now. I might Google it while you talk, Jeff, but he shouldn't be completely 34. out of calculations. 34, is he? Right. So, I mean, mm. I appreciate why he hasn't been a first-choice fast bowler for Australia with so many options at their disposal. And I suppose Peter Siddle and, and Michael Nisa have been the preferred steady as she goes seamer in the Australian setup in the last couple mm. of years since Justin Langer took over as coach. But it shouldn't be all over for Jack Bird yet. It doesn't necessarily have to be. I suppose, you know, one of the advantages of not playing all the time is that, you know, he's probably a bit less worn out than yeah. a, a bowler of the same sort of age might be had he been playing a, a lot of intense test cricket. Getting signed up by Lanks is interesting. Also, um, noticed that Shreyas Iyer has been signed up by Lancashire yes. for the Royal London Cup. Now, uh, just just a diversion here, but I bloody love that call because Shreyas Iyer, someone who's sort of on the periphery of the Indian team most of the time, it was a surprise to see him get to play all five T20s. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, he's always kind of on the edge with India. The Royal London Cup, the 50-over competition in England, very much on the edge with the ECB. They don't care about it at all. They've got their 50-over World Cup in the bag and now it's all about the 100. Um, and so it was nice to see, you know, a really good player who doesn't always get uh, a rails run in a competition that doesn't get a rails run. And he could absolutely feast in that comp. Like well, he if should. he gets away to a good start in that 50-over competition, we could have a, a really exciting few weeks. Yeah, it's a big play from Lanks because the Royal London Cup is being played at the same time as the 100. So anyone that's been picked up for the 100, so I suppose the the cream of the crop as far as white ball talent in England are concerned, none of them are playing in the 50-over comp. So mm. it'll be... I don't think they described it this way when announcing the fixtures, but a couple of years ago it was seen as it would become almost like a development competition, but you're still permitted to have two overseas players. And like, well, sod it, we'll go out and buy a beauty. And, and they have in Shreya's Iyer. So that is uh, quite an interesting signing. And yeah, Jackson Bird will get that opportunity again in England. I love that Payne didn't enforce the follow-on. He said, you know, you know what, we'll bat again and we'll, we'll drive your noses mm. in, into the ground. And as you say, he top scored in the second innings, Nathan Lyon. Picked up four wickets, Jason Sanger three, and then New South Wales were all out for 194 in the fourth innings, chasing plenty, chasing about 500 to win it must have been. Um, Trent Copeland top scored with 58, Peter Siddle three the second time around, and Jackson Bird one for 55, so he finishes with eight wickets for the match, Jeff, and surely he must be our CBA Super Performer of the Week. He absolutely must. He also has got to go to India. I don't know in what capacity, <laughs> but Jackson Bird has got to go. He is our CBA Super Performer of the Week because he knows that uh, you shouldn't throw away your innings in retirement or indeed when you're two for none, you shouldn't throw your innings away either. You can check out CBUS at cbussuper.com.au slash the final word if you want to sort out your superannuation requirements. As you should. I see there's lots of stuff going on in Canberra at the moment. cbussuper.com.au forward slash the final word. A great time to sort out your super. They'll help you out. Tell them that we sent you and they'll they'll yeah. uh, they'll get someone to uh, give you some assistance in sorting out your super. Of course, you can get a product disclosure statement from that website, cbussuper.com.au. Now, the other game, nothing much happened because Victoria uh, drew Queensland. It rained a lot. Uh, Marcus Harris made 113 and was still batting at the time that the match was abandoned. So I, I I think uh, Swampy on Twitter said it was the 38th 
time that a player, an opening bat, was still batting at the abandonment of the match um, <laughs> in first-class cricket. So good to know. Good to pop that one down in the notebook. Uh, nothing much happened. Marcus Harris making shield runs is nothing new. Um, it just never seems to equate to bigger runs when he goes up to the next level. Yeah, m- maybe not, but I think it was like timely for him. Getting towards the end of the season, I mean... I know that it doesn't count for a tremendous amount, but he is the incumbent opener in the Australian Test team right now. I'm sure Will Bukowski will presumably overtake him again, but if for whatever reason Bukowski's not fit, then you know one you would assume that that'll be Harris who, who gets the um, the opportunity to take that spot again. So important that he keeps making runs at the level down. We've got a few more games in the Shield before it's uh, up to the final. So this week, Queensland are playing South Australia at Ian Healy Oval. West Australia are playing Victoria at the Wacker on the weekend. Then the final round are played in a clump between the 3rd and 6th of April. Victoria hosting SA at the Junction Oval. New South Wales have Queensland at Wollongong and Western Australia have Tasmania at the WACA. And in terms of how the table looks at the moment, Queensland and New South Wales are ahead uh, with 29 points apiece and Tasmania on 20 in the two top teams qualify. So I suppose, Jeff, looking at that, a lot would need to go right. Probably for Victoria or Western Australia would need to win both of their games comprehensively and they would need uh, one of Queensland or New South Wales to lose both of their remaining games. So I think New South Wales have one to go and Queensland have two, so maybe Queensland's the more likely team to drop out there. But nevertheless, it's um, a comp with five teams still in the running with uh, with five games to go. Jeff, you already touched on uh, the WNCLs. So that's the domestic uh, women's 50-over competition in Australia. So this was, I mean, as you mentioned, the New South Wales miss out, but this was really a story about South Australia on the weekend. A precious mm. opportunity to make the final against Victoria, who were clearly going to make it after winning. I think I think Victoria won their first six games or something like that. They were already through. Yep. South Australia had to defend 261 against the ACT to make it through to the final. And then Katie Max said no. Katie Max smashed 95 for the Meteors. They get through and win the game in a, in a final over Thriller. It's the fifth highest successful run chase in WNCL mm. history. And it means that Queensland who have never won the comp, are going to be playing against Victoria, who haven't won it for 15 years, in the final this Saturday at the Junction Oval. The secret life of Katie Mack. <laughs> she had um, a few good moments in the WBBL. But she's been one of those flatter-to-deceive players for a number of years um, where you know she can look good on her day but doesn't deliver consistently enough. She's had a really consistent 50-over season. She's made big scores for a team that struggles for the most part in the ACT. So you know South Australia should have been able to hold them off uh, but didn't. You know, they've won the title once, South Australia, and, and they won't get a chance to add to that. This year, Victoria's won two, you know, just the streaks of, of New South Wales wins, looking back at some of that, because they used to play, the finals used to be best of three. They didn't just play one final, they played a sort of mini series. So at one point, New South Wales had won 14 finals matches in a row <laughs> when, as, as they won the first six cups, and then they had another streak of um, 10 titles in a row a little bit later. So, yeah, the, the, the big chase for the ACT with nothing to gain, nothing to play for but pride. Adam, but they had the pride of the national capital. I know that beats deep within your chest as well, <laughs> and uh, and they saw it through just to annoy South Australia. Yeah, and there's a there's a bit of a, a subplot here in that there was a push for this final to be postponed to um, late April or mid April uh, when the hmm. national women's team returned from New Zealand, where they start their run of six white ball games this week. And I kind of get that. Lachlan yeah. Stevens, the Victorian coach, who I should add, he's actually um, announced today that he's leaving his post as Victorian coach to go back to Queensland mm. for family reasons at the end of this season. So this final will be his final game in charge of the Victorian spirit. But I understand why, where they were coming from. You look at Victoria. For this final on the weekend, they'll be missing Lanning, Perry, Molyneux, Wareham, Vlamick and Strano. And Queensland... I said Vlamic, I meant Valamic. I'm, I'm still coming to terms with the pronunciation of her name, despite the mm. fact that she's been in the system for a couple of years. And Queensland are missing out on Beth Mooney and, and Jess Jonathan. Look, at, none of this is perfect. We mentioned the scheduling around COVID, but it feels as though they would have been in a decent position to push it back to April had they seen fit to do so. But they're pushing on this weekend with the teams that will not have their national stars. So it's a funny one, Jeff. We talked about flexibility earlier in the show. Gut feel maybe this is one of those times when they, they could have shown a little bit of that? I don't agree with that. I, I think it'd be unfair on the other players in the competition to say that, okay, you've, you've been playing this pretty much day in, day out for the last few weeks. Now you need to sit around and cool your heels for three weeks 
while the important players come back because you're not important enough to play. But haven't they? Um, but have they just, though? But hasn't it been the case? Isn't the argument that the national players actually this season have played all the games because the Australian players haven't had national duty? This is kind of the yeah. point that Victoria were advancing is that you know Perry Molyneux, Wareham, Strano, Lanning. Mm. I mean, they've, they've actually They're played the all the group games. It's not. It's not. I, I get yeah. your point, but it's not kind of like it's a Sheffield Shield campaign where the national players have been off, you know, playing test cricket. No, no, it's no, been no, a bit no, different this year. Not not to say that the next tier of players get bumped. It's it's saying that the other players who make up the balance of those sides are being told you've got to wait, you've got to sit around and wait for 3 weeks because so they're playing in New Zealand until April 10. Presumably they have to have some level of quarantine when they come back because we still don't have an open border operating with New Zealand. So how long is the delay going to be given that it's 10 days before the end of March now? Do you end up waiting? Even as it is, it would be three weeks. If there's a quarantine element, it'd be four weeks or or more. I just don't think it works to say, okay, well, we've played the tournament. Now we'll play the final in a month's time when there's no cricket in between. It just feels like you've got to get it done when it gets done. And if there are national duties... So be it. That's always been the issue with the clash of, of national and state duties. Yeah, and, and that's where it's landed. So Victoria will have Elise Villani and Kim Garth, who've had great tournaments uh, so far. The final's on pay television, which is good, so people will be able to watch that uh, in the usual way. It's being streamed as well on Cricket Australia. Likewise, the Australia-New Zealand fixtures, I mentioned they start uh, this week. The 28th of March is the first of the T20s, which come first, and the yep. one day is, uh, that follow. It's kind of weird, Jeff, that at the very, very start of this protracted Australian season, in October, you were up at AB Fields uh, working on the six games they played against New Zealand. I mean, it's mm. it's half a year ago. We're still in the Australian season. Yeah. And they've not played any international cricket since. Of course, uh, the India tour that was scheduled got cancelled. Yeah, that's been the case for, uh, for Australia. I mean, everybody, all of those teams should have been over there playing in the Women's 50 Over World Cup the last few weeks and, you know, that didn't happen either. New Zealand mm. did get a few games in against England and, and looked pretty rusty so um, or, or looked well below par anyway. So not a lot of air in the tyres for the New Zealand women's team at the moment for whatever reason. So I think they might struggle to get themselves up for this contest as well, whereas everyone in the Australian team has been playing domestically and, and they're, they're good to go. So next week we'll look at the final of the WNCL. We'll, we'll deal with the uh, Australia Tour of New Zealand. And we'll also look at the test match that's currently taking place in Antigua between the West Indies and Sri Lanka. If you're wondering why we haven't mentioned that, that's uh, I think they've played two days there so far. And mm. Rakeem Cornwall is, uh, was putting on a show when I was watching him bat last night. So there'll be plenty to talk about there, as there will uh, the one and, days. And Kyle Mayers. Kyle Mayers, uh, do yes. Do not forget. Do, do not forget the great man who went past Bradman again for a while when he was about 40 not out while batting. His average was up past 100 um, once again and then he got out and now he's down to about 73. Um, so it's volatile times on the, you know, Kyle Mayers is, is the game stop of, of cricket at the moment. But who knows what he's going to do in the second innings because that's where he excels. Indeed it is. Well, one to watch. Uh, we'll be watching his career pretty closely after what he achieved on debut. Sticking with uh, games that had been played this week, Jeff, the last bit We'll, we'll take on before we uh, head to the break and nerd pledge and all the rest. South Africa have beaten India in straight sets uh, in the T20s after they beat them uh, in the one day as last week. A, a tremendous mm. result for South African women's cricket considering how little they've had the opportunity to play. I mean, I suppose the difference with them is that they did play that long series against Pakistan, whereas India have played nothing and they've hit mm-hmm. the ground running. That's all been played at luck now. I should note, by the way, that Matt Gaynor, um, one of our patrons, sent me a message to say that the ground isn't just called luck now. It's called the Bharat Ratna Shri Atal Bahari Vajpaji Ekana Cricket Stadium Lucknow. I've surely butchered that, but you Good know up. what I'm trying to say. It's a very long-winded stadium name. Anyway, the first T20 at Lucknow. Let's go with that. South Africa won by eight wickets with five balls to spare. India made 130 thanks to Harleen Dial, who missed the ODIs, but she's done quite well at number three for India in the T20s. 22-year-old, good option, also bowls leg spin. And South Africa chased it down with Anna Botch. Uh, I like her name, Bosch. Made 66 uh, not out from 48 balls. Also picked up a couple of wickets. Um, her debut and Bosch, sorry, not Anna. Her debut was in 2016, but she hasn't played a tremendous amount of cricket since then. So she's 27 years of age, plenty of experience. But taking this opportunity on tour to get South Africa over the line in the first of those T20s. It's a good Germanic name, Bosch. Uh, the, the Bosch is, it used to be the 
somewhat denigrating nickname that English soldiers used for the Germans in World War One. They were the Bosch, you know. Time to go over the top and give the Bosch one in the eye. So I, I assume there's there's some link there. I don't know what the derivation is, but, you know, World War Two it was Jerry, World War One it was the Bosch. I'm sure our listener Thilo Fob in Germany, uh, from Germany, will be able to let us know about the etymology of Bosch, uh, but it does also mean to hit a cricket ball very hard a long way, which is what she did, 66 off 48. And yeah, then the the second game, India put up a big score, 158 for four. Shafali Verma got onto a few with 47. Uh, Risha Gosh, 44 off 26, not out. And then South Africa just went and chased it down. Lazelle Leaf, 70 off 45. And the Teen Wolf, another half century for Laura Wolvart, 53 not out off 39. And she's been in some serious touch the last year or so. The, since she worked out how to play T20 cricket in uh, during the, the T20 World Cup last year, um, Laura Wolvart's been close to unstoppable. Yeah, this team playing under the captaincy of Laura Wolvart's gone so well over there. It was another record-breaking chase, South Africa's third best in T20s. They needed nine off the final over, and the Teen Wolf, uh, as she used to be known, probably not the Teen Wolf now that she's in her early 20s, held her nerve and it's got it It's an done. existential crisis for, for a Teen Wolf. If you're a Teen Wolf and then suddenly <laughs> you're 26, you know, like, you're like, well, I used to be somebody. I used to have an identity. And now, now who am I? Mid-20s Wolf? You know, slightly, slightly paunchy, balding mid thirties wolf. Like, well, you know, there's only <laughs> yeah, there's only one option. You've got to make a blockbuster like Back to the Future and and, and let it change mm. your career that way. And you've got to make family ties, yep. make Back to the Future, and let mm-hmm. that be your legacy mm-hmm. rather than Teen Wolf. But yes, it was Wolvart with Nadine de Klerk in the last frenetic final over, a big inside edge from the last ball, and Wolvart raced through and and they got there. There was a couple of no balls in the last over for waist high full tosses as well. So, I guess the good news though for India is that in Risha Gotch they've got another young player coming through 17 years of age she is that was just her fifth t20 international she bats right-handed in the middle order so i guess in both teams what we're seeing is that they are in these t20s have given a chance to some new players coming through and uh and that'll help bolster their their ranks for the uh for the 50 over world cup which is taking place in new zealand this time next year yeah well we've we've been waiting to see south africa make the jump for a while because they've been they've been on a gradual build for a few years but if they could suddenly have that sharp uptick then then that's going to be something to watch it's almost game time isn't it i think it is we've done a lot of talking about some cricket let's talk about some history of the game as well jeff let's do a little bit of nerd pledge nerd pledge thank you to everyone who's let me know that they sing along with nerd pledge when we announce it it's a game it's a game that we play with people who listen to the show and it's like the inverse of shows that do quizzes where they ask you questions this is you asking us questions in a roundabout way so people on the patron page support the show by sending a very specific amount of currency some an amount a number that they make up and that has a relationship to cricket in their minds and we have to work out what that relationship is what that number means in a cricketing sense the first of the numbers comes through from Jono Barrack and the number is $5.54. Adam, what did you make of 554? I thought it was quite funny that we were talking about 554 a couple of weeks ago in reference to oh, yeah, the we highest first wicket partnership in first class cricket, mm-hmm. which was overtaken by Sutcliffe and Holmes, was it not? And then it was Percy Holmes and Herbert down. Sutcliffe who made 555. And that led us down a wormhole about uh, Sherlock Holmes and St. John's Wood. No, uh, Baker Street. And anyway. Yeah, Baker Street. That's all on Nerd Pledge from a couple of weeks ago. You'll have to listen to find out what we're talking about there. Ian Salisbury was the 554th England player. It was a page I was on just last week looking at his test record. He, he was in and out of the team across 15 test matches between 1992 okay. and 2000. He was the first sort of specialist leaguey that England used for two decades. So there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders and it didn't really play out for him. He, he took 20 wickets at an average of seven. 77 across his test career but yeah I'd say that's not playing out yeah but he had a, a long and prodigious first class career but yes uh, he's still very much involved in in the system as well in fact I think he was in uh, Wisdom Cricket Monthly last month talking to Phil Walker more about Wisdom Cricket Monthly in just a bit uh, but no I wanted to skip through another 554 for it is one of the great come from behind victories in test cricket South Africa's tour of Australia in 1931-32. The Aussies won big in Brisbane and Sydney to start the series, winning by like an innings and 150 plus on both occasions. Then they arrive in Melbourne for the New Year's Test match as it was then. 
And Australia were all out for 198, so they didn't have a good start to the test match. Sandy Bell took five, and Neville Quinn took four. I I just clicked on his page, and I I noted that he died in 1934, just three years later, at age 26. Bradman really rated him. He said he he was the best of the the bowlers coming through from South Africa. He died according to the reports of heart failure, but there's also mentions of sleepwalking Mm -hmm. in reference to his passing. So whatever it was, it was tragic, but he picked up four wickets in that first innings Neville Quinn then they go on to make South Africa 358 big lead 160 and then Australia in a bit of a preview of what happens five years later in in the Ashes test of 1936-37 they go huge in the third innings of the test match making 554 Bradman 167 Woodfull 161 they set South Africa 395 in the fourth innings and they come nowhere close. They're all out for 225. And guess what, Jeff? Clary took a six for, six for 92. Yes. Bert Iamunga, the other four. Did. So basically, they, they, it's a 329-run turnaround. So there's a, a deficit of 160 on the first innings and Australia eventually win by 169. And like I say, it's one of the, the biggest turnarounds uh, in Test cricket. Very nice. I like it. That is a 554. That could work for Jono Barrick. If it's not correct, Jono, you know what to do. You send us a message in the DMs on Patreon and we come back to it on Storytime on the weekend where we do these things in much greater depth. Our next number, Sebastian Goldsmith, friend of the show, someone we've uh, crossed paths with in Adelaide a number of times. $4.16, the contribution from Seb Goldsmith. What might 416 mean? Well, Two categories of human beings that we're interested in on Storytime. One category is two-metre Peters, that is uh, (laughs) Peters who are tall and are called two-metre Peter. Another one is dusty old bastards who are long-forgotten players who may have played only a a couple of test matches. And and probably a future dusty old bastard and a current two-metre Peter is Peter George, who was (laughs) test cap 416 for Australia, just in passing. Just... Spreading out, I'm fanning out to look at a few options here. In the 1993 Ashes, notable that both Steve Waugh and Michael Slater made 416 runs, exactly the same tally. They both made one ton and two fifties. They both played six tests. Slater had 10 innings, Waugh nine, all pretty similar. Slater averaged 40, Waugh averaged 80, <laughs> <laughs> which a few not outs helps a lot. And then I was looking at who's taken four for 16 as an analysis in cricket and a, a couple that stood out. I remember Mohamed Shami taking it against the West Indies at Old Trafford during the 2019 World Cup. We were at that game, Mm. India playing the Windies, where he bowled really nicely. But it's also the best ODI bowling figures for the freak, uh, Ian Harvey, who we speak about quite often as a player who played for either Glamorgan or Gloucestershire, one of those two counties that start with the same two letters um, that I can you're gonna get apart. You're going you're gonna to get beaten up if you don't clarify. <laughs> it's very much Gloucestershire <laughs> on that one, Jeff, I promise you. He won yes, them so many trophies in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, by this point, I just like to sprinkle a little bait out and, and see who I get. Nonetheless, Ian Harvey took four for 16. Guess when? In the top end series against Bangladesh <laughs> in 2003, when they were playing ODIs up there against the Bangers, he knocked over Javed Omar and Muhammad Ashraful and a couple of tail enders. Four for 16. It's also the best ODI career analysis for Anita Sharma, who was uh, an Indian swing bowler. She played in the sort of first uh, decade of the 2000s. Um, she was playing against England. They were one for 37 and then ended up crashing to six for 64 as she took four of those five wickets to fall. And in T20 internationals, the best figures for final word favourite Amanda Jade Wellington against New Zealand in Adelaide and also Sophie Molyneux against Pakistan in Kuala Lumpur, the grudge match against Pakistan in KL. They love to get down to KL for a for a bit of cricket like that series they had in the 90s with the salmon-coloured shirts. So those are some 416 options and also 41.6. We've talked a fair bit about the uh, extremely boring off-spinner Tom Vivas from the 1960s who had an even more boring cousin who did commentary on television. His test bowling average, 41.66, which he shares with Manus Labaskakne, who's also averaging 41.66 in tests. Those are some options for 416. Sebastian, let me know.
Loads of options. Thanks, Seb, for that. And the last number we've got today is 202 from Harrison Payne. I took a look at this one. As you know, Jeff, I like it when uh, something doesn't happen too often and happens quite a lot. 202 mm-hmm. was made just once in the first 123 years of international cricket, and that was Len Hutton mm-hmm. against the Windies at the Oval in 1950. And then it's happened eight times in the last 16 years. Well, 16 years between huh. 2003 and 2019. That includes in... 2003, Lara against South Africa at Johannesburg. KP against India at Lords in 2011. Jason Holder, his magnificent innings, match-winning innings, series-winning innings for that matter, against England at Bridgetown in, in 2019. But I'm interested more in the, the slowest and the fastest. The slowest I was therefore and commentated at the Rancho Relaxo in 2017. Chiteshwa Pajara took that literally. He relaxed. He relaxed for 525 mm-hmm. balls. A strike rate of 38. Steve O'Keefe bowled, I think, 70.3 overs, if memory serves me mm-hmm. correctly. And he just sucked the life out of that game and that, that, that test match alongside Ridham and Saha when they were in a pretty bad position when they were joined in the middle five wickets down in what would have been mm-hmm. India's first innings. Australia had a big opportunity there, but Pajara shut it down. And then the fastest 202 which was in 2014. Brendan McCullum, just 188 balls by contrast. So 525 for Pajara, 188 for McCullum. A strike rate of 107, 11 sixes, which is the, the second most in test history behind Wazim Akram when he struck 12 against Zimbabwe in 1998. It was the fourth fastest double century of all time. He took just 78 balls to reach his 100, Jeff, which at the time was the fastest for New Zealand. Of course, he bettered that by mm. some... 23, 24 deliveries uh, in his um, in his last... How many balls did it take him to get to 100? 52 in, in, in 52. The end, so he betted it by 26 or, balls. Or was it 54? It was either 52 or 54. Either way, it wasn't a record that stuck around for long as he yeah, broke it in his final innings in Test Cricket, mm. or his final match, I should say, at Christchurch there. Another innings that I had the great fortune of commentating on. And, of course, the other side of that innings was that it was um, it was the, the week that Philip Hughes died and they delayed the start of that Test match uh, in Sharjah in order to have a day of mourning. And then they, they picked up the Test and McCullum, of course, dedicated that innings to Philip Hughes. It was his third double hundred of 2014. Only McCullum, Bradman, Michael Clark, and, and Ricky Ponting have achieved three doubles in one calendar year. So I reckon, given all of that, it might be Brendan McCullum's 202 for Harrison Payne. Lovely. Thank you very much, Adam. If you want to play Nerd Pledge, go to patreon.com slash the final word. You can set your number there. And in doing so, you can help us keep making this show to keep making to keep <laughs> making this, this show uh verbs they're difficult uh, week after week yeah and also you can help us reach jimmy anderson we've been talking on story time in recent weeks about trying to pull level and overtake anderson's 614 test wickets we're at about 600 or so patrons at the moment just ticked over that mark last week so be part of the next 14 and get us ahead of jimmy and what i hope will become a bit of a, a, a cat and mouse mm-hmm. game through the english summer yeah, it'll be fun. That'll be fun. We'll get him. Uh, all right, break time. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Once a month, Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine comes out because that's what it says on the cover, but some months are more important than others, and for people particularly who have a bent towards England uh, and the English summer in the middle of the year, uh, it's, it's really about the month before the county cricket season starts, the month when they can get back to the things that they're familiar with, that they've been uh, seeing for, for so many years into the past and that everybody missed out on for the most part last year, but things might, might be somewhat approaching some level of normality again. Yes, some months are bigger than others. It reminds me of a Smith's lyric that they almost certainly would not be allowed to write and sing about these days. Uh, it's the definitive guide to the new season, Jeff, for it is April. It is the April edition of the magazine, and April's the month when county cricket returns. Uh, so it's a big special to usher in uh, this new domestic mm-hmm. season. And I can tell you, Jeff, people are absolutely stinging for it. There were um, these friendlies on the live stream yesterday, which, of course, you know, a friendly in March doesn't have an awful lot riding on it. Everybody was watching because <laughs> we just know that after last year, not having championship cricket at all, having the Bob Willis Trophy um, played in 
August and September and it was a marvellous end to the season but there's still that sense of loss I think about cricket last year especially at domestic level and getting into the rhythms of it and I mean I can't wait uh, and yeah the, the county cricket focus is there right on the cover from David Hopps who's written an essay titled County Cricket is Precious for All Its Flaws and he goes on to explain why we need to discover it, nurture it, savour it and why it's never been more vital. So that's the, the thrust of this I suppose. I mean for all of the talk about a new audience this year through the 100, and that is essential. No one backs away from that proposition. There is still something, dare I say, sacred about county cricket Mm. over here from those who love it most, and this is a special time for that group of our cricketing family. There'll be time later in the year to talk more about the new audience, but that's not this right now. This is for, I suppose, the true believers who, who get their fill from April the 8th. Yes, April is a very different audience. Um, So all of the preliminary stuff is in this magazine. The previews of all 18 counties have got profiles of seven of the most exciting young talents. All of the wisdom writers are picking out what they're most looking forward to seeing after missing out last summer. Uh, Raph Nicholson interviewing a number of the 41 professionally contracted women's players. That's a big change up uh, from the way things have been done before. Wisdom Cricket Monthly is based at the Oval, uh, the ground where the Surrey Cricket Club is based. So uh, Phil Walker's been talking to the people at Surrey who who have to make the 100 team, the Oval Invincibles, into a real thing instead of just a, a logo and a concept. So there's a bunch of stuff going on there and, and Joe Harmon chatting to Ian Watmore, the ECB's new chairman, to find out what uh, his different and new approach to the role will be. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Joe is um, really keen on his interview with Ian Watmore, especially uh, the new chairman. Everything he said so far feels good. Good energy around the guy, has experience in sport. So um, let's hope that that disposition is continued throughout the course of his tenure. I, I contributed to that. What are we most looking forward to? Section of the magazine in county cricket. What I'm looking forward to is seeing kind of pensioners, specifically pensioners, who've had to be behind closed doors for 13 months, now having had both of their jabs, hopefully, both of their jabs, I want to see them when they're permitted to return to county cricket, so after April 12, Mm. I suppose that'll be with crowds coming in, with a thermos, a couple of sandwiches, wearing two jumpers and a scorecard, and maybe Mm -hmm. an earpiece to listen to the radio. That is what I'm hanging out for, because if anyone in our cricket community, I mean, like, they are the people, especially in this part of the world, uh, where they've been, you know, having having to shield. Really, it's not just about being locked mm. down, but not really being allowed to do anything. So, yeah, older members of our of our cricketing crew who are just going to lap up uh, the return to grounds, and now they're fully inoculated. Hopefully, that'll be a, a safe and wonderful and special experience. You want to see them run on, if possible, the pensioners. <laughs> you want to see them hurdle the fence. I do. I do. Run, run really slowly on. Um, so, interviews with Rashid Khan, the Afghanistan spinner, the uh, former New Zealand batsman John Wright, and then a, a bunch of county coverage from Lizzie Ammon, Isabel Westbury, uh, Emma Johns got a guest column in there, Andy Zaltzman, Andrew Miller, etc. Uh, the important thing is that if you want to subscribe to this magazine, we can get you a sweet deal that's like 44% off, I think. Uh, There's a little link in the show notes, so you don't need to remember it, but it's a bit.ly link, bit.ly slash, and then it's WCM for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, and it's TFW for the final word. I know that's a lot of letters, but it's in the show notes. You click that, and it takes you straight to a page where you get to buy six issues for about 10 quid or about... 15 Australian dollars. That is a very good idea and you should do it. You should absolutely do it. I remember when I first used to subscribe to Wisdom Cricket Monthly and the Cricketer magazine when I was a teenager. Around this time of year, even though, I mean, of course we were in Australia, county cricket meant nothing to us around that. I mean, I guess there was the internet, but only just, and it was a very loose relationship to the game. It was through the pages of magazines like this that I, I fell in love with it before ultimately getting to come and watch plenty of it as an adult. But So even if you're an Australian listener to this or you're from another part of the world and don't really have a relationship with English domestic cricket, there is something about this comp and there's something about the words around it and Wisdom Cricket Monthly uh, do it better than anybody. So jump on that bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW. Get yourself the discount and read it on your iPad. That's how I read the magazine these days. It's very user-friendly. Great product, uh, great app, great way to do it ahead of what I hope will be a magnificent season of county cricket. Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw and you're listening to The Final Word Podcast. It's The Final Word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. DC, cue the music. Sachin. Sachin. 
Take it away, Jeff. Well, it's been a little while since we had a happy birthday Sachin segment. We like to check in at least once a month or so to see what SRT is up to. Uh, But curiously, not a lot of birthday tweets. Now, the reason we started this segment was because of just how prolific Sachin was with wishing happy birthday to a range of people. And we wanted to see how many and who and, you know, which ones pop up regularly, which ones might be a one-off. This is the lowest birthday tweet haul I have ever reported for a happy birthday section segment. And that includes some segments where we used to do it weekly. This is like four weeks, I reckon, or five even since, since the last one. Five birthday tweets in a month. Or more. What has Sachin been doing? Well, he's been playing cricket uh, because he's been playing in the Road Safety World Series for the India Legends team uh, and batting really nicely, I must say. He's, he, he played an on-drive that looked as good as most that he played during his career. Um, India Legends won the tournament. They beat Sri Lanka. But most importantly, they were educating people about road safety. And so a lot of the Sachin tweets in that time have been road safety tweets, which is you know a message we can all get behind, Adam. Yeah, it's interesting watching the promotion around this competition. I mean, they, they're taking it pretty seriously, aren't they, the, the players who are involved? And, yeah, you, you see a contrast between guys who have really stayed on top of their fitness game, and Sachin's one of those, and have still got the hand-eye, of course. I remember watching, you know, the 94-95 mm. the, um, the Bradman foundation game where you know Michael Holding played and Barry Richards played mm. and Greg Chappell played they would have been all in their 40s and 50s by that stage but they all still had it and and Sachin yeah. falls very much into that category I saw him playing against England where James Treadwell who was only playing international cricket a couple of years ago Treadwell still can play absolutely can still play mm. but he, he looks much older than his birth certificate would suggest I would I would um, I would advance Jeff mm. um, and whereas Sachin on the other hand is is kind of timeless more like James Fedwell Uh, um, Yes, Sachin looked as good as ever Rangana Herath looks great Uh, The hair's gone almost completely silver Um, But, you know, he was was never the most svelte figure When he was playing international cricket But still looked good Um, The ball was coming out nicely Anyway, so so that's that's been most of the focus Plus Sachin's been watching India play And, you know, watching the national team play And talking about them So in terms of who got a birthday gig It is only... Viv Richards, one of the rare non-Indian cricketers to, to get a birthday gig. You've got to be in a particular elite level to to get the gong from Sachin. Uh, Party Patel, you'll be pleased to know, party time, got a gong from Sachin. And then the singer Shankar Madhavan. Uh, Zakia Hussain, who is the preeminent tabla virtuoso of our time, or so says his biography. If you've written that in your own bio, you're feeling confident about yourself. <laughs> and another actor, Amir Khan, who I can only assume that Sachin tagged in the wrong account because the the link that he put in, that account was uh, subsequently deleted. So presumably the Amir Khan who held that account was like, I don't want to get these 40,000 notifications um, and just deleted his account to get out of it. So, you know, Jasper Boomer got a mention for his wedding, Ishant Sharma for his 100th test match, Mithali Raj for her 10,000th run. So uh, some stuff up there about International Women's Day and backing and celebrating girls as much as boys, which was nice to see Sachin on the side of. And... A joke, a pun. I've buried the lead here, but SRT, not known as the most, you know, sort of quick off the cuff kind of kind of type, um, steel drum work aside, made a joke. He had a photo of him with Chris Tremlett, who's a very big bodybuilder now, and uh, and Sachin said, "How many omelets would I need to eat to look like Chris Tremlett?" Because he'd realised <laughs> that omelet and Tremlett sound similar. A pun. A pun from Sachin to finish things off. What a month he's had. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Sachin. We'll return to that. I think the last time we did it, we were sitting on the bench at the Arbor Ground, which, yeah, feels like it might have mm. been six or so weeks ago. So we'll return to that at some point in April to finish us off for uh, this edition of the final where we have some Bannermans. We like to mm. save the Bannermans to the end. It's the if you're If you're a full... Fully committed devotee to the show and, and you're really interested yep. in in numbers, then you're probably still here and thus you probably want to hear more about the Bannermans that we have been getting in consistently. Also, no one knows whether they've got a Bannerman until the end. You know, you That's can't, true. You That's can true. be ahead of the Bannerman asking rate early, but you've got to wait till the end of the end. <laughs> it's only appropriate. Uh, Chris Arkell sent one through, which was not quite a Bannerman, but noteworthy anyway. So West Lothian against Aberdeenshire in 1939. West Lothian out for 48. Alma Hunt took seven for 11. 
And chasing 49 to win, Hunt made 49 not out, 100% of the runs. So... <laughs> <laughs> so Chris so Chris sent that through quite excitedly saying I got the best batterman there could be before subsequently realising that it was more an anomaly than a batterman because of course yeah. he, it would have needed to have been an unbeaten 49 all out 49 and that yeah. couldn't be possible in a chase so it was never going to quite happen there but it's still worth a mention well you could still win the game under 2019 world cup rules if you were if scores were level at the time the 10th wicket fell for naught and alma hunt with 49 not out having drawn level with 49 and then won the super over or drew the super over and won mm-hmm. a boundary count back yep. then then alma could have won that could have made 100% of the runs in a winning chase in a bannerman but that is the only way. The next one we've got here is from Aaron Barclay, who wrote us a message on Facebook. You can do that as well. Further to your discussion on Bannermans, he said, how's this from Hobart earlier this season? Now, I clicked on the link, and it's quite the scorecard. So round five in the Hobart sixth grade competition, a chap by the name of Holmes, who has a name which has been relevant on our show quite a bit of late, made 231... He was out. So 231 from 129 balls, 16 sixes along the way, if you don't mind, out of 297 compulsory closure, 40 overs. Now, that's technically no good. Originally, I was going to go Mm. on about this and say, how amazing is that? 77.7, quite the bannerman with a double ton. But compulsory Mm. closure, nine down, I'm afraid that also doesn't qualify, Jeff, because the the stipulations of, well, they're there. The, The rules are what the rules are. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But look, Noah Holmes uh, is, what, 16 or 17 years old, says Aaron, and he's got their nine down and all he needed was for one teammate to be slightly less competent <laughs> and he would have had it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's sort of spiritually a bannerman because if you're holding it together and making all of the runs while batting with the rabbit at the other end, who's number 11, you know, you can't be held responsible for them not getting out. It might not be a, a strictly interpreted bannerman, but it, look, it's been mentioned in the segment, so that's that. It, it wins whatever virtual ribbon we apply to two innings that have done that. And we'll be applying a few more virtual ribbons on story time. We've had some fantastic Bannerman sent through over the last couple of days, so I've, I've kept one mm. in the back pocket for our Saturday show, which I hope you'll be with us for as well. If you've not been with us on story time yet, or you know you might have happened upon this show <laughs> through the YouTube channel and stumbled through to the weekly show, I, I reckon we're doing some pretty good work on the weekend, Jeff. We're, we're doing a lot of research uh, into the numbers that we get <laughs> and, and uh, our story, the stories that we're telling seem to get better and better. I don't know if that has something to do with the, the types of numbers we're being sent which are are steering us in that direction but hard work but worthwhile work because we're learning a lot along the way and the feedback's been fantastic so if that's not been something that's been part of your uh, routine we're trying to get all of the story time eps out jeff at 5 a.m melbourne time on a saturday we've got a new sort of stricter regime about when we're recording so it should mean that um, you can pick it up first thing saturday morning in australia and of course it'll be there uh, around the world thereafter yeah in in theory because we don't have test matches and things to run around to at the moment. We can be a bit more regular, although, you know, <laughs> what did you say about um, over-promising and under-delivering? <laughs> I see that one. Yeah, Always I, be careful. I, I, I intentionally said that because that, that actually will hold us to account. Sometimes you need to say things publicly. Oh, it's, like when you, um, it's like when you say you're going to run a marathon. It's best to put it on social media because then you'll have to run the marathon. There's no point. Um, there's mm. no point uh, using that mechanism after the fact. Jeff, that's it for us. Your covered- Coley didn't make the 100, by the way. Yeah, no, I know, no I know. We've had yeah. Sam Billings hurt his collarbone. We've seen Shikha Dewan out for 98. Coley's been out short of 100 as well. So we'll talk all about that on The Daily Show, which will be on YouTube tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The Weekend Show, we've already talked about that. I wanted to thank Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Exciting time of year for them. Start of a new season. Bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW. Thank you to Seabus Superannuation for always having our back. Seabussuper.com.au forward slash the final word. Thank you, Jeff, for your spirited conversation as always. And thank you to everybody who listens and sends through pledges through Patreon patreon.com forward slash the final word is what we do this for for the amazing community we've developed on there all the emails all the messages it's a true delight this has been the final word adam collins jeff lemon uh, we'll talk to you again on the weekend bye for now arrivederci is that what you say when someone arrives or when they leave? i had to go about